Awesome. If you have your Bible, would you meet me in Luke chapter 15? Luke 15. And while you're turning there, I just want to say very quickly, last Sunday was a really, really awesome Sunday in the house of God. We prayed for needs. We prayed for specifically for people who were needing healing in their body or healing in a various area of their life. And we had a lot of people respond with all kinds of needs, not just healing. But let me just tell you, after first service, we prayed down here, down in front of the platform for 30 minutes with just lines of people after service. After second service, we prayed for almost 45 minutes with people. And I just want to say very quickly, if you have experienced a testimony, God has done something awesome in your life, we want to hear about it. And so you can always fill out a praise report at the info center. You can do the same thing on our website or through the Bridge app, but we want to hear about it. But not only that, if you are still walking this thing out in faith and believing that God is going to answer the thing that you're believing for, he's going to provide that thing that you're asking for, don't give up. Don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. Every single time you come up against opposition or fear or challenges or even some sort of physical pain, speak against that thing. Claim the word of God over your situation and over your circumstances, and let's believe that God's going to continue to do awesome things in our lives. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Hey, this morning I'm going to bring you a message that's called Everyone for Every One. Everyone, the whole word, everyone for every one. You'll see where I'm going here in just a moment. Luke chapter 15 is one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible. Um, I think over the last few years I've preached from it. I know about four, or this is probably the fourth time that I've preached from this passage of Scripture. I love it so much. In fact, the first time I ever got to preach in church, in ministry, I preached from this passage, from Luke 15. It means a lot to me. It's spoken a lot to me. But really, it's a significant passage of Scripture because it reveals the heart of God toward those who are not walking in relationship with him currently. And so I want to walk through this today, and I want to just tell you a a few things. I believe that God's kind of been speaking some things to me that I've never really seen or looked at in this passage of Scripture. I want to share those things with you today. You know, they say there's nothing new under the sun, but I believe that occasionally God likes to remind us of maybe something we hadn't considered before, okay? So that's what I want to do today. But first of all, I want to take a moment, and I just want to explain a couple of things and set this up about where we're going. One of the oldest conflicts or tensions that's existed in the church throughout church history, I'm talking about the worldwide church, one of the biggest conflicts that's existed is how do we balance taking the message of Jesus Christ to a lost world and being relevant, engaging the culture of the world that we live in without compromising our message? It's always been a tension and a question that the church has had to answer. I think sometimes throughout church history we've answered that question well, and sometimes we haven't answered it well because either we told them what they wanted, people what they wanted to hear and we compromised our message, or we were so uncompromising in our delivery that we failed to reach them with love and grace. And I want to talk about this today and just kind of get into this if I can. If I look back and I look back at my own life and my own church experience, I'm 38 years old, I've been in church my whole life, I'm a pastor's kid. And if I were to just kind of talk to you a little bit about what I've seen, how does the church engage the prevailing surrounding culture in which we live with the message of Jesus Christ without compromising that message? How do we do it? Usually the church does one of two things. We can, not all the time, but usually we tend to take one of two approaches. We take the all grace approach, which is we just love you for who you are. We love you for the way you are. We don't care if you change or not. We just want you to feel accepted, to feel loved. We want you to know that we believe in you, and you are welcome to come in and be a part of the family. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in that, except that God's word is confrontational. It meets us right in the middle of our sinful, broken condition and challenges us to change. So at the point at which we would share all grace but no truth, we've missed the mark because it's the grace of God that leads us to truth, and truth always leads us to change. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So we should have grace to the world around us, but we should never compromise the message of truth. But then the opposite approach has been true at times throughout church history, where the church has tried to engage culture, prevailing surrounding culture, with a message of truth that was attached with no grace. If you don't come in and start behaving the right way, you're not welcome in this church. Because this is a place for Christians. This is a place for the called out ones. This is a place where if you don't change and if you don't dress the way we want you to dress and if you don't talk the way we want you to talk and if you don't come in behaving the right way, you're certainly not going to belong. Now I recognize that God does want to change our lives like I said a moment ago, but can I tell you something? Grace is always the best way to start that conversation because grace leads people to truth. Scripture tells us that that's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. 
And I'll explain that to you a little bit further here in just a moment. But I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture that are going to set up where we're going to go today. Now, I asked you to turn to Luke 15, okay? And we're going to go there in just a moment. But let me just kind of set up where we're going with a couple other passages of Scripture that explain the heart of God toward those people who are not currently in relationship with him. This is what it says in John chapter 1 and verse 14. This is a passage that I love to preach from, and many of you are familiar with it. It says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is saying, We saw Jesus for ourselves, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and everybody say and grace and truth. The thing that was so remarkable to the disciples and the people who walked with Jesus was that Jesus didn't just come and extend truth to the people he spoke to. He spoke to them from a place of truth, but he first extended grace to them. I've heard it said that uh, grace is the anesthesia that goes before the scalpel of truth. Nobody likes to go into surgery without some anesthesia. That's why Jesus led with grace, and then he brought in the truth bombs and said, yeah, but I'm going to challenge you to live your life a different way. And so we have to understand that we can approach the world around us with grace because grace will call people to truth and truth will draw us to God and into repentance. Now, here's another, a couple other passages of scripture very quickly that will tell you what the heart of God is toward those who are not walking in relationship with God. This is what it says in Ezekiel 33, okay? Old Testament prophet Ezekiel speaking to a nation that is in captivity. He said these words, speaking Uh, God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn, everybody say turn, but that the wicked turn from their way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Again, he says, I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. In other words, what he's saying here is, look, those of you who are walking in relationship uprightly with me, you're doing it the right way. But you can't just look at those people who are not and condemn them because I don't take any pleasure in their destruction, so neither should you. Does that make sense to everybody? Our approach to other people should be if God doesn't take pleasure in their destruction, then we shouldn't either when we see other people who are not living their lives according to the ways of the Lord. 2 Peter 3 in verse 9, Peter in his epistle, second epistle, he's actually talking to people who he has called scoffers, who are scoffing at the promises of God. And they're saying, man, Jesus is never going to come back. This word that we've been believing for, I don't believe it to be truth. It's never going to happen. It's never going to come to pass. And he actually says these words. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. If God makes a promise, he always keeps it. And then Peter goes on and he says these words, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all, everybody say all, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance is always an important word because God does not want any of his children to perish, but that doesn't mean we extend grace without truth. We extend grace so that they can walk into truth, which will lead them to Repentance. Repentance is always in the heart of God that we, when people, when we encounter God, when we encounter his truth, it doesn't just enable us to feel better about our sinful lifestyles. It enables us to walk according to his truth. We change our heart, we change our mind, and we walk in a new direction, also known as repentance. That's the heart of God. So when it comes to engaging the world around us, people who might not be walking in a relationship with God, we reach out in grace, but then we speak truth. Jesus always expressed grace, but he personified truth. He reached out to people in grace, but he never compromised his message of truth. Let me say it to you this way. Grace without truth is rebellion. Truth without grace is religion. And we don't want either one of those things. What do we want? We want a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. So if that's the heart of God, then that needs to be our heart toward other people who might not currently be in relationship with God as well. I watched this really great documentary the other day, and four years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Vietnam to actually go to Hanoi with my dad, and we did some preaching and teaching over there with some uh, students, some Bible school students, and it was just an amazing experience, and it kind of just opened up my eyes to that nation and that part of the world, but a few days ago, I was watching this really short 15-minute, like, mini documentary about the last days of the Vietnam War and the evacuation of the U.S. Embassy in Saigon. So Hanoi, the stronghold in the north, they were making their way down and taking over the south and moving their way into Saigon. And so on April the 30th, 1975, there were only a few hundred 
Americans left at the American embassy there in Saigon. And little by little, these helicopters would come in and land and then take off, getting rid of all of the American personnel that were there at the embassy. And slowly but surely, throughout the course of one day, there were 81 helicopters that landed and took off again, getting all of the American personnel out that day. But it wasn't just American personnel they took out because South Vietnam was also being overtaken by the North. And so there was all these people from that area there in Saigon who also wanted to be evacuated and run off like refugees because they didn't want to be overtaken by the North. And this is all stuff that, you know, I was, some of you are going to make, I'm going to make you feel old, but I was born like after the Vietnam War, okay? So when I learn all this stuff, it's so fascinating to me. And I'm, I'm watching this, and one of the things that stood out to me that was so amazing was I watched this short movie that told the story of the last Marines that stayed there at the embassy as all of these Americans and these Vietnamese refugees were taken out of there by helicopter. And there came a point at which the forces from the north were starting to surround and get closer to the embassy, and more and more American personnel was being evacuated. And pretty soon, they got down to a place where there was less than 40 Marines left left there at the embassy. And they looked around and they began to realize, we don't know how much longer we have until this place is going to get taken over by the armies that are coming in to capture it. And they saw all these refugees who were trying to get out, and they even saw themselves as being in danger trying to get out all the American personnel. And they said, we didn't know how much time we had until we could get out of there, but we knew that we had been given a mission and we were not leaving until we got all of the American personnel out of there. And when the 80th helicopter landed, it took off and they all said, we don't know if there's going to be one more trip because we don't know if they have enough time to come back and get us. And so they stood there in fear saying, we don't know if we're going to get rescued, but we are Marines. This is what this guy said in this documentary that was so beautiful. He said, we are Marines and we will not leave our mission. Our mission is to get everybody out and then we go last. Well, everybody's out. Now we go last. And they prayed and they hoped and they waited for that last helicopter to come. And then that last helicopter finally came and evacuated them. And I sat there and I thought about that for a moment. And it occurred to me, what if the church of Jesus Christ said, we don't know how much time we have, but we are going to give our lives to make sure that every single one is on board with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will not be about our own business. We, we will be about the Father's business until the very last moment comes. We will give everything I, we have to make sure that as many people go as possible. What an amazing thought that is. But sometimes, because we are already the found sheep, we're already the saved ones, we're already the Christians, we can get so lost in what's going on in our world that we forget about the world around us. We can even become so religious, or dare I say, pious to the world around us that we forget about the mission that we've been given here on this earth. Jesus encountered this when it came to some very super hyper-spiritual Pharisees and scribes in his own ministry. And this is how he dealt with it in Luke chapter 15. Look with me at Luke 15 and verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. This is kind of grouping tax collectors, people of bad reputation, and sinners, people who publicly would have been looked upon as having a sinful lifestyle. They drew near to Jesus to hear him. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, I want to point something out to you real quick here at the end of verse 2. That word receives, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they were angry with Jesus because he received these sinners and he ate with them. That word receive is a really interesting word in the Greek because it means to give access or admission to someone else. So what Jesus was doing was he wasn't accepting and endorsing of their lifestyle. He was simply giving access of himself to them. Let me put it to you this way. How many people have ever been to a concert, like a big concert? And when you buy a ticket, your ticket gives you admission to your seat to view the concert. But just because I have a ticket which gives me access to see the concert doesn't mean I get to go on stage and play with the band. Because I might want to go on stage and play with the band, but it's not on my terms, it's on their terms. Just because I have a ticket that tells me I have a seat doesn't mean I get to go backstage. Because that's on their terms, not on my terms. And I love the way that this is written according to Luke's gospel because essentially what he's saying here is Jesus gave access or admission to himself. And I love this because here's the deal. When we come to God, we don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And his terms will always be grace, truth, and repentance. An uncompromising message. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, let's go on. Look at verse 3. 
Jesus starts to speak to these very religious people, and now he gets on their terms and speaks to them in a way that they can understand it. He says in verse 3, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, in our society today and in our culture today, very few of us would have an understanding of what it would be like to be a shepherd. But to live in a society that's more agricultural, where livestock is continually involved, that's something they would have understood so much more. But not only that, think about this in religious terms, okay? We're talking about Pharisees and scribes, and Jesus talks about a shepherd and sheep. Well, if you go back into the Old Testament, these people would have been familiar with the Old Testament. This is what the Old Testament has to say about that. Psalm 95 and verse 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 100 and verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves, for we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I think what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is getting on their religious terms, and he's saying, Don't you understand that we are all part of God's flock, and God values each and every one of us equally? And Jesus looks at these, these very religious people and says, you're being judgmental toward me and toward them, but don't you understand that God loves them just as much as he loves you? And what's interesting about it is because I'm not a shepherd, I don't know what it's like to deal with sheep every day. I really don't. But as Jesus tells this parable, it occurs to me, it's not Je Jesus is not asking a question. If you had 100 sheep and you lost one, wouldn't you leave the 99 behind and go find the one? No, he says to them, any shepherd that's a good shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one walks away from the 99. He's not asking a question. He's stating a fact. He walks away from the 99 to go and find the one. And the very simple truth that we see here is that God does not value any one sheep any higher than the other. God looks at us all the same. The potential that's in front of us is all the same because it's not according to our might or our power or our strength. It's all about his power, his saving grace, and his kingdom. Now, there's a whole lot more that we could say about this, but it's, it's important for us to understand that Jesus gets on their terms to speak to them about the heart of God toward the lost sheep. Now, look at verse 5. And when he has found it, talking about the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. I love this so much because for those of us who look at the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we say, man, we got to have this grace, 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 all grace approach. Yes, we need to approach the world around us with grace. But what did Jesus just say? There's more rejoicing in heaven, not over the 99 found, but the one who repents. Repentance and change is always at the heart of God, but God always engages the lost ones and he expects us to do the same. He expects us to do the same. And I love this because this parable that Jesus tells, when the shepherd goes off and he finds that one lost sheep, what does he do? He doesn't berate the lost sheep and say, where did you go? What did you do? Why did you run off? You know what I had to do to find you? I had to leave the other 99 behind. God only knows what they're doing right now. I had to leave them behind to come and find you. The shepherd doesn't berate the sheep. The shepherd doesn't beat the sheep. The shepherd doesn't take the sheep, bring him back to the rest of the flock and say, okay, I'm going to make a public example of you now, you lost sheep. Everybody know from now on, this is what you do not do. No, it doesn't say any of those things. It says that the good shepherd goes, finds the one lost sheep, picks him up in a loving embrace, puts him up on his shoulders as if to say, I will carry you back to the place I'm calling you to go. And he brings him back home to the flock. That expresses the heart and the love of the shepherd toward the lost ones. The same heart and the same, the same level of love and compassion that we should have toward the lost as well. But then the challenge here is issued because it says that the shepherd comes back and he calls his friends and his family and his neighbors and he says, guess what? I found my lost sheep. And in the parable that Jesus tells, they all celebrate with him. Why? Because they understand that what's important to the shepherd is important to them. And they look at the shepherd and they say, if that one lost sheep is important to you, then it's important to me. And we're going to celebrate the finding of that one lost sheep. Now, there's three stories in this passage that all talk about lost things. But before we move on, 
to the next thing, I want to just give you a quick observation if you're taking notes, okay? An observation. The heart of God says that everyone has a place in the family of God. I'm going to say that again. Everyone has a place in the family of God. There was a place for everyone. And I know that for a lot of us as traditional Christians, we say, well, hold on a minute here. These people haven't changed their lifestyle yet. They haven't cleaned themselves up. Does that mean that there's a place for them if they haven't yet come into a relationship with Jesus? You know, there's a really funny old saying, and I might point to this a couple times today, but it simply goes like this. And You know, we Christians can come up with some corny sayings sometimes, okay? Let's just be honest. But there's an old saying that says that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And one of the things that occurs to me is that when I look back at my life, I recognize that God found me in a lost, sinful, desperate, broken state. And when I look back at my story and my testimony of God's goodness in my life, not anything that I earned for myself, but what God did for me in my life, if that's what God would do for me and it meant that much to me, then I should also care about the same experience for every other lost sheep that's out there. If that is the heart of God, if that is the priority of God, then it should be my heart and my priority as well too. Amen? Amen. I just said as well too, which grammatically doesn't make sense. You know, for a lot of us, we say, should we extend grace and kindness even if people haven't changed it? Do they have a place in the family of God even if they haven't cleaned themselves up, if they haven't changed their lifestyle? This is what it says in Romans 2 in chapter 4. Paul wrote these words, or do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness or the kindness of God leads people to repentance? When we believe that there's not a place for the lost sheep in the family of God, we are underestimating the goodness of God. And we're neglecting what God did for us and saying it only works for us, but other people aren't worthy of it. If God did it for me, he wants to do it for others as well. Amen? That's his heart, and it should be our heart too. Now, let's move on. I want to make sure I save a little bit of time here at the end. Jesus tells a second story. We'll move through this one relatively quickly, okay? But Jesus goes from talking about sheep and the shepherd who lost that one sheep going and finding him. And now he goes from 100 and he talks about 10. He says here in verse number 8, Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. repents. The message of grace goes forward, which leads us to truth and repentance. Repentance was a big deal to Jesus. This is his encouragement. Say, hey, lead with grace, but don't compromise the message of truth, which draws men to repentance. Now, I love this story right here because it's very, very simple in comparison to the other two stories in this chapter. We could spend like all day talking about the, the parable of the lost sheep, but this passage right here of the lost coin is a little bit shorter and a little bit simpler. And I love what Jesus does here because Jesus isn't yet talking about a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. He gives an example of a shepherd and sheep, and now he talks about a woman and her coins. When we think about coins, when we think about money, when we think about monetary things, what do we do? We associate value with those things. Jesus is saying there's a woman who had 10 coins, she loses one, and that one coin was so valuable to her that even though she knew where the other nine were, she was willing to set the nine aside, scour the house, light a lamp, clean the place, search everywhere until she found that one lost coin. Why? Because that one coin was just as valuable as the other nine that she already had. I love how Jesus talks about coins here because it associates, in our minds, we think about value here. It's important to, to understand this right now. If you're taking notes, I want everybody to write this down, okay? Everybody has value worth searching for. Everybody has value worth searching for. I love it that when I was lost, Jesus saw the value in me. I love it that when I was lost, Jesus saw the gold in me. Even if I couldn't see it myself, or in this case, the silver in me. He's talking about silver coins, okay? <laughs> I love it that even when I was in my lost, broken, sinful state, Jesus still spoke to my heart and said, there's a place for you in the family, and I still see a potential in you. I still see value in you. Now, we're talking about the heart of God, which is the same heart that we should have 
toward the people in our world, the people outside of this place, the people in the culture, the prevailing world in which we live. But I, I want to take a couple of the moments and I want to just say a couple of the things and just give you something to think about here. Like we said, the woman searched her entire house just to find that lost coin because that one coin was just as valuable as all of the others. Many people, many unsaved people in our world who do not know Jesus will never step foot in our churches until we first place value on them in our homes. This woman had the 10 coins. She searched her entire house. We're talking about value. This is a parable that Jesus told. It's interesting how many of us as Christians look at our neighbors and we think, well, I see the sinful way that they live their lives. And I see, I hear how they really talk to each other because it comes out the windows and floods my house. And you know what those people need? Those people need Jesus. They ought to go to church. As if church is the only place that can save them. Is it possible that maybe God put you next door to them because you're the one who can tell them the truth of who he is? Can I be really honest with you? This is a little bit daring to say this, but I have one set of neighbors that don't want to talk to, my, to me at all. Like, we welcomed them. We wanted to, like, take them some cookies or something. Like, when they were moving into the house and they were just like, like, we we're like, hey, how's it going? Welcome to the neighborhood. And they're like. And then the people who live on the other side are like these super cool, wonderful people that we love living next door to them. They're very kind. It's easy to love them. And for a lot of us, we look at unsafe people and we just want to condemn them for everything that they've done wrong and say, well, you're going to get what you deserve because of the way that you live their life. Well, what if God put you next door to them to be the carrier of the good news? And we say, you know what those people need? They need a good church. Tell them the truth about God. Those people are never going to step foot in, the ch in a church like ours unless we first value them in our own homes. This is why I love our connect group leaders in this church, because they're willing to open their homes, clean the place, search the place out to make a place for others to come in. People that they might not even know that well, and when they walk in the doors of their home, they look at them and say, we value you. We're glad that you're here. We believe in your potential. We believe that God has great plans for your life, and since God does, we want to be in relationship with you, and we want you to know that we want to walk in relationship with you as well. God is calling us to look at everybody as equal in value place value on them and do whatever it takes to see to it that they know that we value them. Because as soon as we extend that grace to them, they experience the message of truth, which draws them to repentance. And I love it that Jesus tells that story because he pulls value out of every single person and says, hey, this is how I see it. You need to see it the same way as well. That, of course, leads us to the third story in this passage, and this is the longest one of the three, and we'll spend just a little bit more time here. But Jesus tells us the very, very familiar story of the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. This is what it says in verse 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. Everybody say two sons. I love it that scripture points that out specifically because it immediately draws our attention to the fact that this man valued each one of his sons the same. And what he had set aside in his inheritance was equal for each of them, which tells me that God does not favor anybody. God has an equal plan of inheritance for every single one of his children. Now, read on in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. In other words, give me my inheritance now. Now look at this. I never actually noticed this before. Look at what the second half of verse 12 says. So he divided to them his livelihood or their inheritance. I never noticed that them part before because what I always thought was that the younger son who came and asked for his inheritance now, the father just said, okay, well, here's your inheritance. Go ahead and do what you're going to do with it. No, he gave both of them their inheritance. Except one, tried, one decided to go off and go his own way and the other decided to stay home. Now, look at verse 13. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, he spent everything he had, he was down to nothing, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine or the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He finds himself in this desperate place. 
realizes that he has nothing, there is no hope, nobody will help him, where can I turn? Where can I go to find help? Verse 17, but when he came to himself, the message translation, I believe, says he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants, just the hired servants, have bread enough and to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, now look at this, look as he rehearses this speech, I'm going to butter my father up, I'm going to go back and I'm going to just admit everything I've done wrong and if I get this speech just right, maybe he'll accept me, maybe he'll overlook all the things that I've done wrong, maybe he'll overlook the fact that I squandered everything that he worked so hard for. And If I say it just right and I prepare this speech just right, maybe he'll receive me. The second half of verse 18, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Now he starts to approach his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed his son. And the son said to him, Father, listen to the speech that he's been rehearsing. This is the moment he's been waiting for. I'm going to compel my father to love me and to give me grace and just receive me back so that I won't be hungry anymore. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. In verse 22, but the father interrupts and says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Other translations say they begin to celebrate. What we see Jesus talking about here is that the heart of God is always looking out for the lost sons and daughters, the prodigal sons and daughters to come home. And one of the things that I love most about that passage of scripture is that this guy can't even get through the speech that he's been rehearsing in his mind. He's interrupted by his father who says, put the ring on him, put the robe on him, kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. I don't care about your speech. I don't care what you've lost. I don't care what you've done. I want you to know I just care that you're home. I've been looking out that front door for every single day over the last few weeks, wondering when the day would come that you would come home. I don't care if you come home with all of your inheritance. I don't care if you squandered everything that I worked for. All I care is that you're home because you are more important to me than anything else. And the heart of God is revealed through the story of the prodigal son. Now, let me just give you a couple things to think about right here, right here, okay? This is the third observation in these three stories. My observation here is that the heart of God stands on the front porch looking for prodigal sons and daughters to come home. And if the heart of God looks out for the prodigals to come home, Shouldn't we be lighting the light on the front porch every single night hoping that they come home too? Shouldn't our eye be at the little peephole in the front door wondering, is tonight the night? Maybe going out there and just looking to see one more time, is tonight the night that they come home? Is tonight the night that I've been praying for? Maybe if God has to take them to a rock bottom or a dire straits experience in order for this to happen, is tonight that night? Because scripture tells us that before he could even come up and greet his father, his father's standing out there looking for him. I was hoping that this would be the day. And if that's the heart of the father toward the prodigals, then surely it should be the same heart that we would have toward them as well. Except this story is different from the first two. Now remember what the context is. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes, the uber-religious people. They got it all together. They're good in the sight of God, right? Except no, their view toward the lost is not godly whatsoever. And this story goes out a little bit differently because you would think that, you know, in the first story, what we see is that when the shepherd found that lost sheep and brings him home, he calls all of his friends and his family, his neighbors, and says, come celebrate, and they throw a party and celebrate because his friends, family, and neighbors, they value the same thing that he does. The story of the lost coin, the same thing. She finds her lost coin. She calls her friends, her families, her neighbors. They come and celebrate because they value what she values. Except something different happens in the story of the prodigal son. Verse 25 says, now the prodigal son's, or excuse me, the father's older son was in the field, the one who didn't leave, the one who didn't run off with his father's inheritance, the one who didn't squander what was given to him, the one who was the found son, if you will, the one who had it all together, right? His older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother 
has come home. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. That should be cause for celebration, right? But instead, what we see in verse 28, but the older son was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and he pleaded with him. Now, I love this picture. The father pleads with the older son. Why won't you come in and celebrate? Your brother's come home. Don't you understand? This is a day of celebration. And suddenly there's this jealousy that arises within the heart of the older brother. Verse 29, so he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. Now watch this. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed against your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Suddenly there's this celebration that erupts because the prodigal has come home. What did he ever do to deserve this warm welcome? What did he ever do to, to, to earn your love, Father? Because you gave him your inheritance. He squandered. It seems to me that you should just tell him to leave because he doesn't deserve to be here. Now push pause for just a moment because like I told you earlier, when I think about my story and what Jesus did for me in my life, Jesus found me when I was lost, when I was broken, when I was sinful. And he extended grace, which led me into truth and repentance. And here we are seeing this story unfold where the father receives his lost son, but the older son can't get on board with this because he thinks that he's earned the love of his father while his younger brother hasn't. It's interesting all the things that he says because when you read verse 29, you have to notice all the eyes and the me's and the my's that the older brother uses when talking about how undeserving his younger brother is and how deserving he is of the father's love. We can tell that our relationship with the father is out of alignment when it, all, when it becomes all about the eyes and the me's and the my's. Rather than our lost brothers and our lost sisters, the ones who don't yet know God. When we're so focused in and our relationship with God is all about I and me and my and what I get and what I receive and what I deserve, we miss the point that none of us are deserving of the warmth and the acceptance of God. He gives it to us by grace. And if God cares about the lost ones, then we should care about them too. Verse 30, finally it says, but as soon as his son, uh, excuse me, this is the older brother speaking, but as soon as this son of yours, notice he doesn't say my brother, as soon as this son of, your, a son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and now is found. If the heart of God is to reach the lost sheep, then our heart should be to go searching for them as well. If the heart of God is to pull value out of those lost ones who don't yet know how valuable they are to God, then we should be pursuing it and telling them how valuable they are as well. And if the heart of God waits at the front porch with the light on looking to see if the prodigals are coming home, then we should do the same as well. In closing, I want to just give you something to think about. In Luke 15, we see these three stories, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, the story of the lost son. As I was reading through these, it kind of occurred to me, the similarities, you know, the compare and contrast of these stories. It occurred to me that the first story, the parable of the lost sheep, the sheep is lost, it knows it's lost, but it doesn't know how to get home. So how does the lost sheep get home? If it doesn't know how to get home, it knows it's lost, but doesn't know how to get home. The shepherd has to come looking for it. Many of us know people who are lost, and they would probably admit to us, I feel like I'm just a lost soul in a lost world. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm still trying to figure out what that purpose is for this life. In order for them to discover it, we have to be the ones who search them out and tell them there's purpose to be found. Let me bring you into the fold so that you can discover all that God has for you. They're lost. They know they're lost. They just don't know how to get home. It's up to us to point them in the right direction. The second story was about the lost coin. The lost coin is lost. It's just a coin. It's an inanimate object. It's lost. It doesn't know it's lost. And it doesn't know how to get home. There's a lot of people in our world, people that we know, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers. They don't know Jesus. They don't know that they're lost. And they don't know how to get where it is that God wants them to go. How do we point them in the right direction? We place value on them. We invite them into our homes. 
We place value on them in such a way that we let them know, I care about you, and I want to point you in a direction where you can find purpose and salvation and everything that God has for your life. That brings me to the third thing. And this is something I want to focus on for just a moment before we're done. Story of the prodigal son, the lost son. He's lost. He knows he's lost, but he knows how to get home. I think that today there's a lot of people in this place. There's a lot of moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters. If I were to ask you, do you have some prodigal sons and prodigal daughters in your family? You would say, yeah. When I think about it, my heart breaks at the idea that we could be running out chasing our own desires, chasing our own lusts, chasing our own fulfillment in some other fleshly way and running in an opposite direction of what God has for our life. But here's the thing about prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. They might be lost and they might know they're lost, but guess what? They know how to get home if you've taught them about Jesus. And I felt so strongly today to say this to some moms and dads, some grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters in this place today. There are some of you that invested years of your life telling your kids about the goodness of God and who God was and how much he loved them. And today you're saying prayers for them because you feel like they're prodigals who are far from home. But I wanna encourage you today, I felt like I was supposed to say this to you today. If you told them about who God is, they might be lost and they might even know they're lost. But guess what? They know how to get home. And it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how much of your love they've squandered. Listen, they might have squandered your retirement. They might have squandered their inheritance. But what's most important is that they're reunited and that they come home. And that moms and dads and brothers and sisters are standing at the front porch with the light on saying, I don't care where you've been and I don't care what you've done. I care about you more than any of that. I believe it's my job to tell you today Some of you have been praying for your prodigal sons and daughters, prodigal grandsons and prodigal granddaughters. And soon, many of them are coming home because they know where to go and they know how to be found. And I I believe I was supposed to tell you that day for peace in your heart. But it's up to us to make sure that we're standing at the front porch with the light on, ready to welcome them in when they try to come home. Is that good with everybody? Two quick prayers before we're gone. Would you bow your head with me? First prayers for every single family, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters that are here today, and you're praying for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. I'm not going to put you on the spot and embarrass you. Just heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. If that's you and you are praying for a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, would you just lift your hand? Because I believe that we're supposed to pray for them today all over this place. Father, I thank you for every single hand that's raised, the boldness, the courage that it takes for all of these people to lift a hand. God, I pray that a heart of grace and mercy would just reach out and embrace them today, God, and that they would know that you are working on their behalf. God, there are many moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas who have raised their kids to know you. And while it seems as though they might have departed from the right way, God, they know how to get home. And if you have to use dire straits, if you have to use desperate rock bottom situations to bring them home, God, we cast judgment and condemnation aside and we stand on the front porch and turn the light on and welcome them in with open arms, believing that you are gonna bring them home. We call forth to prodigal sons and daughters today. Come home in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would bring peace into the hearts of moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters who are praying for those prodigals. And I pray that you would reassure them and let them know that you are working on their behalf. The things that they can't see, the the seeds that they have sown throughout the years will come forward to harvest. They'll be reunited and they will see them walk into relationship with you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment. If you're here today and you're not in a relationship with God, I want to tell you that everything we have talked about today confirms this radical idea that God is madly in love with you even if you are not currently in relationship with him. You wanna know how much he loves you? In spite of your imperfections, in spite of anything you've ever done wrong, he took the most perfect one of us all, Jesus, and put him on a cross, the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb of God who did not deserve to die, took our sin upon him at the cross so that we could take everything that was right and perfect about him and embrace it and have it for ourselves. 
If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to tell you it's the best decision you can make in life because we are cleansed from our sin, from our imperfection, that thing which has separated us from God. And we get to walk into relationship with him knowing that we have him for all of eternity and he has us in this life and for all of eternity as well. I want to pray a prayer. And if you've never done that, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, we're going to pray this together. We're not going to put any pressure on you. We're not going to put you on the spot. Just going to pray a prayer and invite you to embrace this and pray this prayer. Mean it with everything you have. Repeat these words right after me. Say, Jesus, today I choose you. I believe you died for me. So I give my life to you. I believe that you were raised from, from the dead so that I could have life eternal. I want your best from my life. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to learn your ways in this life into eternity. Thank you for receiving me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, very last thing this morning, I said that this is important, and if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Please, everybody, just hang tight till the end of service. We're going to be done real quick, okay? This is an important moment, though, for people that made that decision to follow Jesus today. We want to help you start this journey. This isn't the end. It's simply the beginning of a relationship, a discipleship relationship of following Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we want to give you a free gift. It's a small book called The Next Seven Days. There's two different ways you can get it. We'll have some prayer teams down here in front of the platform right after the service. Just walk down. These are regular people. They can help you. If you want someone to just stand with you and pray with you, they can do that as well. But if you made a decision to follow Jesus, let them know that you want to get the book and you made that decision. They'll give it to you. It's a free gift from us to you. We don't need anything from you. You can also stop by The Next Seven Days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you go. Let them know you made a decision and you want to get the book. They'll give it to you. We don't need anything from you, but we're here to help in any way that we can. And I'll say it one more time. Our prayer teams are here to pray for anyone and everyone, no matter what your need is. If you have a need, take advantage of that opportunity. Let one of these prayer teams pray a prayer of faith and expectation with you, and let's just believe that God will do good things in your life. Can we put our hands together and welcome some people into God's family today? Awesome. Awesome. Can we also give Pastor Zach a hand for that great message this morning? So good. So good. Uh, it is great being in church with you this morning. We are so glad all of you are here. And this is the time in our service when we worship God with our giving. And, you know, as we heard this morning in that message, that we all have a part in reaching the lost. And one of the ways we can do that is through our giving. Because every time we give here at the bridge, our giving is helping bring lost people home. Because it enables us to share the gospel. And every single week here at the bridge, we see people coming home. We see people making decisions and surrendering their lives to Jesus, entering into relationship with him, and it's so exciting. But not just here at home. Our giving also reaches people around the world through all of our different missions efforts. But in fact, Pastor Gary is in India right now. Be praying for him, if you would. And uh, he is sharing the gospel in six different cities. And many of you gave over the last two weeks to the project we talked about uh, with the Bible app, reaching young people in India. There's so many things we do here at the bridge, but it's all about bringing the lost home. And so just know that as you give, you are helping reach the lost, make an eternal difference in people's lives. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. And as we give today, let's check out our church news together. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Bridge. My name is Mia, and I want to give you a very special welcome today. We hope that you enjoy your morning in church and that you and your family have a wonderful time. Here's a look at what's coming up in church life. We hope you'll find your place and be a part of what God is doing here at The Bridge. Our Fall Connect groups are currently in session, and we want to let everyone know that it's never too late to join a group here at The Bridge. Whether you are new to the church or you've been around a while and haven't yet made the effort to find community, Connect Groups are here for you and we would love to help you get plugged in. Just grab one of our Fall Connection Guides at the Info Center before you go today. 
You can also see a full list of our groups on our website or on the church app. Don't miss out on the opportunity to build relationships with other believers here at The Bridge. If you are new to The Bridge or looking to find out how you can get involved, you are invited to join us at Connecting Point. Maybe you want to make The Bridge your home church or find out how you can serve on a team. Connecting Point is where you go to hear the heart, mission, and vision of The Bridge. But most importantly, find out where you fit. If you'd like to come, it's happening on Sunday, November 3rd during the 11.30 service. Just sign up at the Info Center before you go today so that we can plan for you. You can also sign up on our website or on the Bridge app. We hope to meet you and help you get connected next Sunday morning at Connecting Point. Hey ladies, our Bridge Women Evening Gatherings only happen once a month, and this month it's happening tomorrow night. The fun all starts at 6.30 with shopping at the Vintage Corner Resale Boutique, a photo booth, and light refreshments. And then we'll have an awesome time of worship and teaching where we'll discover more of God's wisdom for our lives. And children up through fifth grade will have a blast at the Bridge Kids special event just for them. So pick up some invitation cards at the Info Center today and invite all the girls in your world for an amazing night. I can't wait to see you tomorrow night. If you are new to The Bridge, we want to personally invite you to stop by the Info Center before you go today. Take a few minutes to come and say hi. Our team would love to meet you and help you get connected in the church. They can also answer any questions that you might have about the church. For more general info and to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. You can also stay plugged in by downloading the Bridge app. Just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app to 77977. Thanks again for spending your morning with us. We love spending Sundays with you. All right, just before we go, a couple quick things. We are really excited about our 2020 Holy Land Tour. It's happening the first week of June. And if you are interested in going and maybe you weren't able to make our informational meeting, we just want you to know that we have flyers available at the Connection Center with all the details. And we're going to do one additional informational meeting coming up on Sunday, November 10th between services. All right, so mark your calendar for that. Grab a flyer. The deadline's coming up really soon to get those deposits in. So just check out all the info if you are interested. We'd love to have you join us. And ladies, I can't wait to see you tomorrow night at Bridge Women. We're going to have an amazing night. Have an awesome week. We love you.